Broadcasting from Orchard Park, New York, and Boca Raton, Florida, it's the Freight 360 Podcast. From freight broker sales tips to sports talk, this podcast is all about helping you grow as a freight broker. We're your hosts, Nate Cross and Benjamin Kowalski. Let's talk freight. All right, welcome back to episode 147 of the Freight 360 podcast. Ben, I'm like two weeks in a row, like technical glitches here, man. It's a new platform, learning curve, <laughs> like everything else in life. Anyone right? listening has no idea what we're talking about, but that's all good. We got a great episode today on accessorial charges. Um, some breaking sports news, which was probably not so breaking two days from now when this is released, but uh, we'll get to that in a second. Um, hey, we're into July. How was the 4th? That we are. Mine was uh, nice. Ate a lot of food, swam, went to the beach. That was about it. So, well, I guess I didn't. I didn't go to the beach, <laughs> but I did go to a pool party and had had family and stuff over. And um, I was telling you this. I went to see the Backstreet Boys with my wife, and I was really anti was going so to see jealous. them. I really but, wanted to go. I was going to fly up for the concert. And I <laughs> <laughs> Surprisingly, it was, it, I actually, I still had fun because I recognize a lot of the music and it's a, it's a concert, man. You know what I mean? So, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Did a little tailgate before and, uh, yeah, man, they're, they're old now though. That's what's funny. So happy wife, happy life. <laughs> yeah, buddy. So, but Hey, today's, today's episode is going to be a good one. If you're, if you're brand new to us, you have a great episode today. Uh, it's a good educational one. Um, check out all the other episodes beforehand. Don't forget, too, our website, Freight360.net, is a searchable library of everything we have, whether it's a blog, a YouTube video, a podcast episode, you name it. They're all in there. So keep sharing us with your friends. We get, get a lot of people reaching out lately that, um, you know, they're newer at a company. And what I love is they're like, you know, I, you know I've kind of been you know, my coworkers suggest that I listen and stuff like that. And it's good. It's good to know that we're helping spread some good knowledge. So organic growth, man. That's awesome. That's it. That's it. We're almost three years old as a, as a podcast here now. So I don't have a whole lot on sports uh, other than the breaking news. I just saw on ESPN that Baker Mayfield is getting traded to the Panthers. So if you're a Browns Mm -hmm. fan, you may or may not like that. Um, But I saw this, uh, it breakdown is actually was last week. It was so it was that draft class, right? Because Baker went number one, and it mm-hmm. ranked. I think it was like there's five quarterbacks: um, Darnold, um, Baker Mayfield, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, and then Josh Rosen. And it kind of ranked like who was a bust and who was good. Josh Rosen was terrible. Like within a few games, I think he got yanked by the Cardinals. Lamar Jackson was like turned out to be really good, and he was like the last one picked out of the group. I think. Um, Baker somewhere in the middle, uh, Josh Allen, they ranked number one and, um, yeah, Darnold wasn't so good. He was towards the bottom too, but it's just kind of interesting to see how these, how these draft teams pan out, but Baker moving on. Sounds like at least you never know these, these trade rumors, but it's on ESPN's home, you know, homepage right now. Uh, Wimbledon, if you're into tennis, that's going on right now. I try to like put on ESPN during the day in my office just for background noise and, just all tennis right now and i mean it's all right i just never really got super into tennis yeah me neither but But it's a decent sport to play i enjoyed playing it used to enjoy watching it it's a good workout that's for sure like it to me it's it's similar like playing volleyball because you're you're just constantly running around the court and you have fun with it you get a good sweat on get a good workout going and you know it's not as boring as like going for a run so 
Yes. Least favorite activities to do. <laughs> I used to be a big runner and now I don't run as much. I used to run like at least 20 miles a week and I uh, might be doing a half marathon later this year with my wife. We'll see. But uh, I've trained for a half marathon three times in my life and I still have never ran one. Two of them, we, my wife backed out on and one of them, they changed at the last minute to a 10K run. So, yeah. Whatever. I've done some 5Ks. Definitely have never trained or would want to run a half or marathon. I was always at the impression, I'm like, I only kind of want to run when I'm either chasing something or being chased. Yeah. Soccer, (laughs) I can run all afternoon, right? Like we could run for hours playing, but it's like you don't notice you're running because you're doing something else. I just can't. My sister's training for a triathlon or an Ironman triathlon, whatever it is. Later this year, so it's like the same too. Old marathon, like hundred some miles bike, and then like a big like two and change mile swim or something like that. It's just crazy. Well, let's give a shout out to our friends over at DAT, and we'll get some knowledge packed in here with accessorials right after that. Taking the guesswork out of freight with DAT, the DAT Load Board Network is the largest on-demand freight marketplace in North America, connecting freight brokers with available capacity on any lane. Grow your business with tools that allow you to find new business partners. Plus, you can quickly qualify and onboard new carriers. And with the industry's leading freight rate data, you can make clear and confident pricing decisions. Check out the show notes for a free month of Power Express or Trucker's Edge. Absolutely. So, accessorial. So, I, I want to start super basic and we'll define what is what it is even accessorial. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What does that even mean? And then we'll we'll kind of break down what some of them are, how much you can expect to pay, and you know what kind of what's that gray area that should constitute or not constitute paying one. Okay, so an accessorial is essentially, and you know, if you want to break it down any further than this, feel free, Ben. I always explain it like this: it's an additional charge or pay item. So you're either going to charge your carrier a little extra for something or pay a carrier a little extra for something outside of your standard line haul rate, right? And that's basically it. And it's not, you know, it, it depends on, you know, if if X, Y, or Z happens, that'll trigger, you know, this or that accessorial charge being invoiced to the customer and or paid to the carrier. Would you Would you describe it any different than that? No, I'm looking up just the definition. Um, this is the general definition of just the word accessorial, but it's contributing to or aiding an activity or process, especially a crime. I mean, if you drop the crime part, that makes sense, right? Like it's <laughs> aiding the process, whatever you needed to do to get that done. Like in drayage, it's all right. I shouldn't have had to, but maybe I needed a pre-pool. Um, it's the additional things you do to complete the shipment. Um, so it does yep. make literal sense. Oh. I want to start with full truckload since that's where the majority of folks are dipping their toes in. And the the main, I've got five, five slash maybe six, depending on how we want to look at it, that I'll cover. Detention, um, tow news, additional stops or pickups, layovers, or redelivery, which can kind of be grouped together, and then lumpers. So... These are things that, you know, let's say you're picking up in Chicago, delivering to Atlanta and you're going to, I'm just going to make up numbers here. So don't hop on mm-hmm. me about rates. Okay. Let's say it pays $2,000. Fall goes well, one pick, one drop, Chicago to Atlanta. You pay $2,000 of the carrier and it's all good. 
That's it. Now, where would an accessorial charge come in is, do did any of those things I just mentioned, did they come into play? And then if that is the case, we can add those charges on and add that those pay items to our carrier. So let's start with... Um, Let's go with Tonu first because this is truck order not used because um, not, none of these other ones would happen if you did a Tonu, okay? Truck order not used in a nutshell, and then you and I can discuss, you know, when is it appropriate to pay them and how much. So truck order not used is, is just like what it sounds like. You're paying a truck or a, a trucking company for hiring them and then ending up, you didn't need to use them, right? So um, let's say I hire... I hire a flatbed to go pick up my load in Chicago and then customer cancels the load on me and I got to go back to that trucking company and say, hey, sorry, this load that you're you know, picking up an hour from now, uh, we canceled it or the customer canceled it. And th- that is when a truck order not used would come into play. Okay. Now, there's a lot of gray area here. So let me ask you this. Where do you, where do you draw the line? And we've talked about it before, but it's, it's worth revisiting. In regards to like when I pay a truck order not used, yeah, like so one not, yeah, because I mean, let me give you context. You might have a driver that says, "I want a Tonu," and you're like, "Well, no, why would you not pay a Tonu?" Or you know, Mm -hmm. there's some gray area too where your customer may deny paying it, but you might end up eating it as well. So what is what is your kind of your rule of thumb on it? So mine is if they are on your work and rolling toward your pickup, like they have been formally dispatched, then I pay them. So to clarify what I mean by that is most spot loads, right? Or just pretty much any load you're ever going to have, right? Your truck is not starting their week with your load. Usually they are coming off of another load, um, a delivery at a receiver. So if they have booked a load with me and they still haven't completed their delivery on the previous load, then I'm not paying a truck order not used because they're technically still working on the previous shipment, right? You haven't wasted any of their time yet. Yeah. Right. And some people could make the argument, well, you know, you still prevented the dispatcher from getting a better load by holding this guy. But the reality is, is like, look, he's still working on his previous engagement, previous load. He is not yet employed by me. We'll use those terms loosely, right? Um, So that's where I draw the line. As soon as I talk to that dispatcher and I say, hey, is this guy empty? Is he, you know, delivered clean at his last stop? Yeah, his ETA is whatever, even if it's 150 or 200 miles. If he's driving towards my, you know, my pickup and my, you know, my shipper or the load is canceled or for whatever reason he can't now do that load, that's when I'm going to pay the truck order not used. Yeah, so I I usually say empty and rolling. And then also, let's say there's a rare circumstance. They're starting... Let's say they're starting their their week on your load. Like they finished in whatever city they do their reset. I usually have like a, and this is again, this is loose. Um, th- I would say like t- a twenty four hour rule, right? So if it's if you're beyond twenty four hours from that load pickup, no, yeah. you're not going to get a tono. What and about a weekend? Like if you're 20, How do you do it on a weekend? I mean, it depends. What do you but, do on a weekend? So let's say it is a Monday load, and let's say it's canceled on Saturday. You pay a truck order not use? If I wouldn't know by no. Friday. I wouldn't. I mean, but at the same time, but here's what I want to add in too, is that customers will often, because here's the deal, like these accessorial charges, unless it's your fault and your fault only as a broker, your customer is usually responsible to pay them. So you should yep. find out from your customer if they have a policy for paying tow news, right? And if they cancel on Saturday for a Monday pickup, I doubt that they're going to be paying a truck order not used, right? So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And again, so I, I wouldn't. 
a lot of that is because they should be able to find a load Monday morning, no issue, or be able to find one Sunday before their week starts. They really shouldn't be inconvenienced. And furthermore, they wouldn't have lost any money, right? Like they're not even working for you yet. Yeah. Um, and that's where, and that's also why I like that dispatching process that some companies have where like you book a truck on a load, but they do not have the directions and the address for pickup until they are done with the last load. Because yep. then you have a formal process in place where if it's canceled prior to that, you never pay a truck or not use. If it is canceled after, you do. And again, something really worth emphasizing, you need to make sure you've got this buttoned up with your customer for any accessorial charges. You don't yeah. want to be in a position where you're outlaying cash and you haven't agreed or don't know what your customer is going to approve for a truck order not used or layover. Yep. Absolutely. So I would tell you common uh, tow new amounts, about 200 bucks is, is what I've seen about, you know, roughly industry standard. But again, your customer may have a, a scheduled amount of money for that. And there's also times too, if, if you run into this situation with a carrier and you're kind of in that gray area, um, you can you can always say like, hey, let me see if I can get a Tonu for you. Not guaranteed. And they'll often understand. You know, it doesn't doesn't hurt to ask, right? Uh, yep. for, at least from as, as the carrier because they, they figure, oh, if I can get a little extra money. Now, I also want to add in that accessorials in general are typically not intended for you to profit off of it all. So if a customer is going to pay $200 for a truck order not used, you should be passing that right through to your carrier for $200. Uh, might suck because you might have lost a little bit of your time or wasted some of your time, but it's just the right thing to do. They're not they're not really intended to be a, a revenue generating slush fund or something like that. Yeah, and I'd say that's true across the board with some exceptions. I mean, like... Again, if you've got a customer that you constantly have issues with and you're constantly eating up a lot of your time, if you've decided to keep working with them, I'd say this is the first thing. But the second thing is you also should have something in there for yourself, right? Like if you are dealing with um, constant accessorials that are taking up a lot of your time, like I have, you know, some customers where like we profit on storage in some ways. But again, that's because of just that side of the industry and it takes a lot of time and you've got to deal with that. So if you're not making anything administrative fee wise, like you're just processing it now at a loss. And a lot yep. of customer, my customers do that. And that's also where a lot of our stuff comes from is like, I've literally watched what they charge, right? When one of their customers needs to change something or this, there's admin fees. Well, and that's because it does take up a lot of time to do some of these. Some, not at all, right? Like truck yeah. or not used, you shouldn't be profiting from, um, Yep. There's definitely certain necessarial charges that I've seen folks that they'll take a little bit of profit on it to just, just to compensate themselves for the number of hours. So like, for example, uh, and this is not really an accessorial, but let's say a driver is delivers a day late because they went AWOL and you couldn't find them and you spent eight hours trying to get a hold of them with the dispatcher and blah, 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 blah. blah. And the customer finds you know, let's say they fine you $300. I've seen brokers that will pass through an extra $50 or $100 so that they can at least earn a little bit off, a little bit for their time on that load. And again, it's, there's no like legal rule on what's okay to do and what's not. It's just, you've got to, you just got to be realistic. But if you're just doing a quick Tony, I mean, you're really not showing me making money. No. Let me ask you this. Um, like, Transloading, when you run into a shipment where you've got to do something like that, right? Where you've got to find a cross stock and negotiate all that. Like, I don't know if that's, is that considered an accessorial? 
Um, I mean, you, you could probably group it into that category of. I I don't know. I mean, no, I probably not. Because in, in that case, your customer's not paying any more money, right? No, but I mean, and well, in some of the situations, I mean, I guess like when you run into a scenario where like whatever, there's an issue with the receiver, you can't get it off, you've got to translate it. I mean, like, yeah, I've yeah. Had to do so that if, for it's, if it's a customer issue, then yeah, you could probably say it's an SRL. Like I've had situations where the customer gave the wrong delivery address, and they're like, oh, it's actually this other warehouse yep. warehouse across town, and now you've got to hire another local carrier to come move it over there. Uh, but like if a truck breaks down and they, they can't yeah. get a, they can't repower with one of their own power units and you've You're got a your customer, that's your issue. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, but Between I've the broker seen, and the carrier. I've seen people that they will, uh, they're obviously they're going to change their uh, pay to rate for the original carrier. Then now they've got to factor in uh, cross stocking fees and paying a new carrier. And I have seen people where they've worked it out where uh, they just took a huge loss as the broker, but I've also seen them work it out where they break, work out where they break even. And then even when they make a little extra profit for doing the work to get it done. Um, so it just, it depends. It all depends. So that's to- that's truck or not used. That's a, that's a highly like uh debated one. I- I've seen amongst carriers are like, well, you wasted my time. And it's like, well, no, I didn't because you were supposed to pick up tomorrow and you haven't even delivered your original load yet. So, yeah. All right. Let's talk detention. So detention is, let's say you get to a location and you have to wait an exorbitant amount of hours. You being a carrier, right? A carrier gets to a, a pickup location and you know they expect to be loaded within a couple hours. The next thing you know, they're there for five or six hours. Okay. This is where a situation where detention would come in. Like think about, you know, detention like you got in trouble, you had to you had to wait after school for an extra two hours because you're bad, right? Deten- you're in detention. Um, so there's typically a policy at most facilities, and it's kind of an industry standard that you're willing to have up to two free hours of unpaid detention, right? Does that sound yeah. would you agree with me on that? That's that's pretty much across the board. Yeah. So two hours, right? So if they have to wait two hours, they understand that's that's kind of part of the job is, you know, hey, if I don't get loaded quickly or whatever, two hours. And then after that, sure, then I'm going to ask for detention. And detention is another one of those accessorials where your customer is typically going to have some kind of a schedule of rates. They're going to say like, nothing for the first two hours and 50 bucks an hour after that or, you know, something like that, right? Have you seen anything vary off of that? Like any variance from that too much? No. I mean, the only thing is like you'll see a little bit in drayage where carriers will try to charge detention for things that aren't industry standard. Not, I don't really see any variance of that in full truckload. Where you'll see it, where I always get an in, into an issue with it in drayage is that like carriers will want to charge detention at the rail terminals or the per, port terminals, right? The reality is, is like, that's not an industry charge and nobody pays that. Again, because it's just part of the job. If you want to run a business where you are going in and out of a terminal, like if the terminal's congested, like that's part of your business. If you don't want to do that, go drive full truckload. Like that's just part of it. You can't yeah. like bill back and there's also no way to verify it. And I've never, ever seen a customer ever pay those. Now, what you'll see though, is when it gets really bad and it's it was a really good example during the pandemic, like they were getting congestion fees, like maybe an extra 150 a load, 
But you'll, if you don't pay attention, I've definitely seen carriers that have tried to, and I've seen brokers pay it and then tried to bill a customer back. And the customer's like, well, I'm not going to pay for the fact this guy sat at the terminal for three hours. Like, like that's not our fault. That's the terminal's issue. Like, and there isn't any way to bill for it, but carriers will also try to get it there and call it detention, but it's really not. And this is why it's really important too. If you have a customer that you know that they have a highly congested facility for, for pickups or deliveries, and detention is not an uncommon thing, have it clearly spelled out in your rate confirmation to your carrier. Have the conversation with them because they may need to have check-in and out times. Um, I always ask that. I'd to, say to prove, right? So yeah, without a doubt. Mm-hmm. Yep. So Signed. Signed. You have the BOL, have a pen, make sure that the shipper or the receiver has your check-in, has your check-out time because that's your proof. That's what you're going to send right back to your customer to get reimbursed for the same amount of money. Yep, exactly. Uh, detention, definitely not a profit-producing center for no. you as a broker. It's You're literally just administratively handling it. Uh, next one up I got is additional stops. This could be additional pickups, deliveries. So there's not really a rule on this. Um, I, I'm a huge fan of all-in rates. So if you know a you have a one pick four drop load, for example. Let's say it's let's say it's some kind of produce. It's picking up at a produce distributor or produce, you know, whatever, and it's dropping at three or four spots along the way. You know, you're gonna have four pallets go here and six pallets go here, and you know, yada yada. It's very clean to just have an all in rate for your carrier and to your customer, and just keep it as is. But I have seen I've seen brokers that you know they they have itemized their rate confirmation to carriers to show them like you're getting paid an extra $50 for every single additional stop outside of our one pick, one drop. So if it's one pick four drop, so there's an extra uh, three stops in there, they're breaking down $50 three different times showing extra stop on there. Um, And that's fine. Whatever. If you want to do that now where it could be different and you, would add it on after the fact is if your customer's like, well, hey, you know, they're already rolling down the road. They're already loaded up. And after the fact, we actually have to drop this at two different locations, right? Which means for the driver, when they agreed originally, they didn't agree to two stops because that's more time mm-hmm. for them to have to worry about unloading, right? Well, even think and about that too. A different location. And that's one why, like, one, why it's so much harder to cover a multi-pick load over a one-pick, one-drop, right? Because when you run the miles, if you think about it from a driver's point of view, is it really worth only $50 to have to drive to another location, check in? And again, we just, on average, you're going to sit there for two hours for free. So you've got to drive there, sit there for two hours, then get back out of there. I mean, like... I don't think anybody think that's really worth only 50 bucks. But again, those are pretty much rule of thumbs. And you've probably seen them change a lot. Got a lot higher last year, and they're probably coming down quite a bit now. You're probably yep. able to make a lot more money on those loads than you were five months ago, I'd be willing to bet. I would agree with you. So that's your that's your additional stop. Um, layover and redelivery. So we're saying, you know, you're, the drivers, maybe they got there towards the end of the work shift, or either way, they got to stay overnight. Okay. And this is where it gets, there's, there's like back and forth. I've seen way too many instances of back and forth on this because 
drivers like, well, I just I had to stay over and re-deliver the next morning. And then it's like, well, because you got there late after you missed your appointment. And that's the important piece. Yeah. That right there. Right. Like, why is it caused in the first place? And I mean, if they had a hard appointment right at three in the afternoon and then they get there to four thirty and now they have to lay over. That's not on you. That's on the yeah. broker. And it's not on the customer either, to be honest. It's not. You're right. So I think those are the ones where documentation is is huge because, like you said, if they, let's say they have a hard appointment time at three, they got there at four thirty, and the customer's like, like basically, you're you're the back of the line. If we get to you, great. If to not, we'll do, it, we'll do it tomorrow morning type thing. Um, yep. But at the end of the day, the the responsibility there, whoever's at fault or caused it, is who should be. Um, responsible for it. So like if the driver got there late and missed their appointment, well, now instead of a layover, you're you're looking at potentially deducting pay from them mm-hmm. instead of adding pay to them, right? So it's really important to document this stuff, understand how how like how strict are these appointment times? You know what I mean? That that's going to be really big. And and you're right because it's a big swing. Like if and again, if let's say you sent the wrong Raycon Let's say the rate con of the driver went out that it was, you know, first come, first serve until four, but it was really a three o'clock appointment and there was just an error there, right? And the driver shows up, you know, late for his appointment, but in line with your rate con. Now you do owe that driver and you are going to pay the layover, even though it's the same scenario. It just wasn't documented accurately, right? And, and these you are the might things, take a hit from your customer. And you're going to get a hit from your customer. Exactly. And that's where like, when we say like details matter or like when we're working with somebody and they go like, oh, I'm spending so many time with these issues. A lot of issues, and again, not everyone, obviously, but like a lot of issues can be solved just by having accurate information in the first place and making sure, like you said, that's conveyed to the driver, they're aware, the customer knows, and all three parties are on the same page. Yeah. And I've seen like layover, again, it depends a lot, but I've seen upwards of $500 for layover. Yeah, and it also depends on the piece of equipment. Like I had an RGN two weeks ago delivering to the port from Ohio and the guy was laid over and it was break bulk shipment. So he couldn't do anything with it. He was genuinely stuck. And like RGNs are at a pretty a pretty premium over, I think yeah. we, paid, we paid this guy like 850 for his layover that day to the next day. How much? Like 850 for the layover wow. that day. Yeah. He wanted yeah, a thousand. We got it down to like- equipment. Got it down to like 800. And again, same thing. We told the customer ahead of time, like the customer was at fault in the scenario. They didn't have the delivery appointment confirmed. They told us it was. They didn't confirm it with the port on their end. And the customer had to pay the bill. And that was a scenario where I added a little bit of margin on it, but it was mostly because it took up hours of my morning that day. Like it was literally between 7 a.m. and 9 a.m. That was all I was working on, trying to get this guy into the port. And then he had to lay over for a full day. Like, so he lost all of Monday. And then to Tuesday. And I'm like, can't really argue with the guy. He makes a thousand bucks a day on that. And it wasn't his fault. He did everything we asked him. Yep. And yeah, that's a, that's a great example right there of, of something outside of the norm. Um, Last full truckload one I'll hit on is, uh, is lumper. So if you're new to brokerage, you may have never heard what a lumper is and it's fine, but here's, this is a good, good example or a good time to learn it. Cause you may have a customer that lumpers are going to be involved. So a lumper is when a third party, it's essentially like an unloading or a loading fee. So let's say, you know, it. I see them a lot of times with produce, and like potatoes, onions, um, mushrooms. I've seen, I mean, I've seen it on all different kinds of stuff. But basically what will happen is a driver goes to a, a distribution center, we'll say, and there's, 
you know, the, the driver's not the one loading or unloading, and it's not the, the not the DC that's loading or unloading. But there's actually a crew of third party contractors that are there, and they're basically just like gig workers, mm-hmm. and they'll get paid to unload or load that single truck, and every single truck is a separate payment. Uh, yep. And I've seen them range from like eighty bucks. I've seen them like to two hundred bucks. It really all depends on what they're loading and unloading and how complex it is. And these guys want to get paid on the spot as a, you know, they want their lumper money right then and right there. Cause they're a gig worker. Right. Yep. This so, is very similar to uh, escorts at ports too, where you're, it's a third party company. You're paying them cash or a comm check. Oftentimes the driver's handing them cash um, to just be escorted into the facility for one yep. time only. And then they bail. Yeah, exactly. So then you have to think, well, how how are we going to pay this and how does the actual transfer of funds happen? So you have a good point. They might be paying cash. So your customer will usually have, uh, if there's a lumper required at one of their facilities, they'll tell you what it pays. So the way that we handle it as a broker is, uh, you know, I would say most are, most will give you like two options. One, have the driver pay it and get a receipt and then they could send that receipt in and they'll get reimbursed and uh, when they get their actual line haul pay. So like, you know, we would get it approved from the customer along with their regular, our regular rate. And then we pay the line haul plus the lumper. The other option too I've seen, and we do it at, at Pierce is um, do, do it as an advance, right? Just, just like you do a fuel advance, you could do a lumper advance. Um, there are, you know, usually a lot less money. Like I said, it could be a hundred bucks, something like that instead of, you know, 500 or a thousand for fuel. But um, if the driver doesn't feel comfortable handing over cash and getting a receipt and expecting reimbursement, he may say, I, I want an advance. So that way he doesn't have to worry about reimbursement himself. So you have a customer that provides those lump of receipts every time they tender it, like it's with the tender and it's the driver just fills it out, hands them cash and submits it. And then we add it and then it's a separate classified. So then when my customer pays the bill, they knew where that money went and what it was for. Yep. So they can allocate like their line haul mm-hmm. pay and then yeah they're loading unloading fee pays and all that good stuff so those are your main ones is there any other full truckload asset soils that you run into um, you've seen that happen often layovers redeliveries we talked about additional stops um no not i mean not off the top of my head I think we've pretty much covered you, all. Of here, and here, if here's what you can do too, if you work at a, if you work at a larger company that has a robust TMS, or I mean, if you just use an off-the-shelf TMS, uh, if you go to like your your pay items or like your invoice items, there's probably like twenty different things listed. Yeah, that you can here's a couple more. On your invoice or on your rate confirmation. So and a lot more accessorials. Yeah. So Deadhead. I mean, I've paid Deadhead as an accessorial, but it's on the front end usually. But sometimes that comes up where you've got additional mileage, unexpected. Um, tolls is another accessorial. Definitely, if you're going to New York City, you're paying a lot of tolls. Um, permits? Permits, yeah. So overweight, over length permits. Um, escort pilot, vehicles. Escort vehicles, pilot cars, both the same thing. Um, uh, overweight fees. OW, let's see. Border crossing. I've never really seen that one, but I guess that's definitely one. It seems like one. Um, 
stop off storage. Some of these I've not seen before. After hour deliveries, I mean, I guess that would come into play if you've got a customer that needs, but I mean, I, I usually just end up with a higher rate if I've got somebody that needs to deliver in the middle. I was going to say, you, you can, if you can predict a lot of these, you can build them into your yeah. all in line haul rate. Your all in rate, I should say. Uh, well, I'm going to, I'm going to shift gears to LTL here just for a, a brief few minutes here. So accessorials in LTL are a little bit different because they can be predicted beforehand, but they're still charged. Essentially, I mean, they're not really charged separate, but they, so like if you, let's say, I'll give you an example. Let's say I run an LTL rate through one of my LTL providers and I'm going, I'll use the same lane. It's going, I'm taking two pallets from Chicago to Atlanta and I select, you know, an LTL carrier and it's, I don't know, 300 bucks. Okay. Now that's assuming that it's a very simple standard pallet going from a dock to another dock, right? Now where you have to have accessorials is they're going to charge extra if let's say there's no dock and I have my, the truck has to have a lift gate on the back of it. Or if that um, has to be delivered, it has to be brought off the lift gate and delivered inside to a school or in like maybe it has to go onto a military installation um, or let it, I mean, you LTL delivers to residential places. Sometimes I've seen people that all order like parts for their cars. If it's like a bot, like a fender or something like that, it might get shipped on a pallet um, through an LTL company instead of your regular UPS or FedEx. And that driver pulls up, goes down a lift gate, takes a pallet jack and pulls it up right to that person's house and drops it off. Whenever you have anything outside of the ordinary dock to dock situation in LTL, you're going to see a accessorial charge added on. And they're usually pretty standard. It's like 25 bucks for each accessorial charge. Um, but those are some of the big ones. And then after the fact, you might see like a reway or a reclass, which I don't really know that I'd consider those accessorials are just kind of additional charges based on um, errors in the you know estimated weight when it was booked and quoted or the what we thought was the right freight classification when it wasn't. But those are some of the ones that you'll see. So, yeah, it's like residential delivery. Um, I've seen um, it was like apartment delivery where they had to go in and up an elevator and deliver it to someone like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, military base school. Um, yeah. Trade show. They might add, they, they add like a little bit extra money on there, but you can usually tell when you're, when you're booking an LTL shipment, it'll ask you what accessorials and it'll say like lift gate required. Um, you know, all those other ones that I just named off, you'll see them right in there, but that's built into your quote ahead of time. Um, where you will run into issues is if, let's say, they the customer didn't tell you that they didn't have a dock. Driver goes there. They don't have a lift gate, right? And there's no dock. And there's no dock. And they're like, now we have to go send one of our lift gate trucks out there later in the day. You might see an accessorial plus another uh, another fee added on there So Yep. Yep. So those are your accessorials. Um, do you want to highlight some of the drayage ones? I know you hit on you hit on the escort yeah, one. I'll just kind of rattle them off. So you've got um, I'll go from most frequent to the most infrequent. Uh, most frequent you'll probably see is a pre-pull, which means you are pulling the container out before you are delivering it. So it's usually done when you can't get a reservation to turn a container in or to be able to gate it into a port. So you pull it back to your yard. 
And then you get the second most often accessorial charge, which is yard storage. So I'd say pretty standard is about 50 to 75 bucks, depending on where you're at in the country. Pre-pools are usually about 150 bucks. They really don't vary much from that at all. And the other thing with drayage is most of these rates don't vary often because they're not going over long miles. It's very local. It's all within usually 150 miles and in. Um, so you got pre-pool, yard storage, you have chassis splits. A chassis split was when a driver has to go to a different location to get a chassis than to get the actual container. So those are usually like 50 or 75. Um, you've got what you were just talking about, re-deliveries. You take a container to a facility and they can't receive it for whatever reason. It's their fault. Driver has to take it back. So you will have sometimes a a dry run charge for the first trip and then a re-delivery for the second trip. So maybe it's 150. And again, this usually depends on how far they're driving. If it's just, you know, a local, a local move, a dry run is I drove out to that facility it was 30 miles away and they couldn't take it. So I drove back to my yard. That's usually 150 re-deliveries are usually closer to like what the line haul would be on that dray. So if you've got 150 mile dray and you're paying a guy 800 bucks, you usually got to pay him pretty close to the redelivery charge, maybe like 600 or 400 because he doesn't have to wait or deliver, but he did drive pretty far. So that one's a little subjective. Um, reefer surcharges. If you're moving a reefer, there's usually an additional fee because you have to monitor that unit and make sure it doesn't run out of gas while it's in your possession. Those are usually 50 to $75 upcharges. Um, lift charges to pull the containers off of your chassis. They're anywhere from 75 to 150, depending on which terminal you're at. And then demerge charges, which are paid directly to the rail or the port, but oftentimes you'll pay it as a broker to get a unit out. So let's say in an example where your customer says, hey, I need you to get this container out. It was LFD two days ago. Okay, well, in order for you to get it out, somebody has to pay that storage. Oftentimes the carrier you dispatch to pull it out We'll pay the storage and invoice you for it, and then you invoice your customer for it. Those are the main, I think. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's pretty much all. Those are the bulk of what you're going to see on a day-to-day basis. Nice. Well, good stuff. There's your accessorials 101. So we got a, a few good questions in today's Q&A, but first, a shout out to our friends over at Lean. Lean Solutions Group is the industry leader in nearshore staffing solutions with offices down in South America, including freight broker back office operations, accounting, technology development, business development, aka sales, marketing, customer service, and many other positions. To learn more about the vast solutions that Lean has to offer your freight brokerage or agency, visit them online at www. Dot leangroup.com. Again, that is www.leangroup.com. All right, our first question, and by the way, these all come from our online community, the Freight Brokers and Carriers Facebook group. Make sure to check that out. Uh, our first question is, I'm already a freight broker, but I want to work for an established company. Any suggestions? It's kind of vague. When I first read it, I took it as someone's a licensed broker and no one's heard of them and they have a new MC, so they don't know what to do. Uh, but this could also apply for somebody that maybe they're a W-2 or an agent for a newer yeah. company and you know they just want to look for a more established company and they want suggestions. Um, I would, I will tell you as a suggestion, it's, it's probably worth looking at because you see a lot more 
lately with a lot of newer brokers popping up and there's bad eggs with the good eggs, right? But some carriers are hesitant to haul a load for a broker that's not been in business for very long. So that where that's where it may it may be of interest to you to go partner with a, a well-established company that has good credit with the carriers, has good reviews online, and you know has been around the block and not just popped up last week. Um, here's here's so. what I would add to it. Yeah, the, I just want to stress. I think the bigger benefit is on the carrier side, not on the other side. Like when you get to the really large companies, yeah, there's more name recognition. I'd say in the market. But again, you have this other problem that is usually worse, which is getting prospects into your name when you get to a very large company. And you have this trade-off where like, it's great because you can get carriers, you can get capacity, but it's very hard to get prospects in your name when you're competing with thousands of other brokers. And again, that's at the very large companies. And I think this question's phrased very well, like it's a more established company is what you're looking for, not necessarily a much larger company because they're you and I talk about this often, like this, just basically this section of the market where you've got established brokers that have been there, you know, 20, 10, 20 years, but only have 30 sales reps, 40, 50, maybe at most, you know, maybe even 20. Right. And they've got a great reputation in the market. They've got great carrier bases, but you've got a huge opportunity when it comes to prospects to be able to go after. You can pretty yep. much call your shot and go at whoever you want and you're not stepping on someone's toes. And I think yep. there's a really big advantage to being in that sweet spot in the market. It is. And it's hard to find. And a lot of people, they don't find it at the first company that they go to work for. So, all right. Next question. Um, what qualifications does a freight broker need to broker hazmat? So last week we answered what does a carrier need? And now we're talking about what does a broker need? And actually, I think we did answer this in a roundabout way last week. Brokers don't really need, there's not like a certification that the DOT puts out that you've got to take as a broker. Um, although, it is expected that anyone who handles the the um, how do you how do you, I forget the exact wording, but it's like the coordination of the shipment. If you're hazmat, working on the shipment, you should have gone through some hazmat training internally. Yeah, and it's, it's usually, usually company brief, provided. Like your company yeah. will usually have it during your onboarding. Um, yeah, but there's not like there's not a national. I mean, there's, there's definitely like, you can go online and pay a hundred bucks if you don't have a course for your, uh, yeah. if you don't have like a dangerous goods or it has a course for your company, but, um, there's not like the DOT doesn't have one where like the DOT has, or I should say like the FDA has a food safety modernization act single course that they want to see everyone that works perishable goods take. And it's like a quiz with four multiple choice questions and it's free, but hazmat there's not like an industry standard for brokers. Um, I've even heard, it depends on who you ask, but I've heard people interpret it where like the accounting person that invoices a load needs to be trained on it, right? Not just the broker or the, the carrier sales rep. So I don't know. I've also never seen a company get audited and get dinged for their training. Have you? No. And, and no. I mean, I've taken a few of them. To be honest, they're, they're not like super in depth. It's just like kind of understanding what makes up the hazmat commodities, why the classes are what they are yep. and what you need to be able to like kind of pay attention to um, in regards to like what you're looking for when you're, but to be honest, it's pretty straightforward. It's like, hey, what's the class on the shipper? You confirm it with the shipper. Okay, great. And then when you're talking to your carrier, hey, this is the class. Are you guys good? Can you run this? Okay. Yep. 
It's not. That's it. It's funny. Like a lot of those, I've seen a lot of the course material too. And a lot of times it's like old pixelated pictures from like the early nineties or something like that. Showing like a barrel of leaking with an X over it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like don't do this. (laughs) So yeah. But I mean, if you're, if you're doing hazmat a decent amount of it and that becomes your niche, you're going to become familiar with the different hazmat classes. And at the end of the day, you're, you're going to be a value add to your customer because uh, you're going to be able to to give them guidance on, you know, at which class and what weight, what can be mixed together and stuff like that. But if you're not doing a whole lot of it, you're not going to really become an expert at it. So, but uh, all right, cool. Last question. Um, is there a national toll pass that covers every state? No, there's not. But I think this every single time that I personally go on a road trip because it's so annoying to leave New York state with my easy pass and I can't use it in Florida where you need a sun pass, but I can use it in, you know, like there's like a few, a handful of States that take easy pass. What is it? So the sun pass is just Florida. Right. And then that's like for the yeah. turnpike. Right. I think some States, there's some tri-state passes. I think maybe like PA, Ohio and like West Virginia may be able to use one now. But again, I haven't been up there in a while and I don't know. Easy Pass definitely works in a bunch of states. Yeah. And, Easy uh, Pass because Easy Pass works in Pennsylvania. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it works in Ohio. But you're right. Sun Pass down there, the, the one in Florida doesn't, I don't think works anywhere else. And then like Charlotte, North Carolina, there's a lot of tolls as you drive through Charlotte and that's a different tolling system and a lot of these a lot of them are they're like cashless and there's no attendance so like you just it's Florida's all pay by plate yeah Florida's uh, all pay by plate now too so like i don't even have a sun pass i literally just in fact, i have one on my desk right here they just they literally just mail it to you like once a month or whatever and it's just this is what you owe or you can get a yeah. credit card do it but yep so but no there's not it would be pretty nice though if they had a nationwide toll I don't know. Yeah, I don't see that happen anytime soon. No, though. you're right. You know, you won't because every state's DOT handles their own yeah. highways. So, yep. yep. Well, good episode. No, there's no national tolling pass that covers every state. Um, you got any? Uh, you got any add-ons? You got any accessorial thoughts today, Ben? Like, mm-hmm. like I brought that in there. Well, I would say I would say this that it is a area that. I would see people doing more unethical things on this topic than most other areas in brokerage. Like definitely see shady brokers using it as a profit center, um, billing their customers for this and not paying their carrier. Like, Oh, I got double my margin on this, made an extra 200 bucks and I didn't pay the tonu. Right? Like I've always been of the mind that like you should just do what's ethical because over the long run, it will benefit you more than, in an a-hole and trying to profit in the short run like eventually that catches up to you yeah you win a little bit in the short run or feel like you win but you're also screwing somebody over most cases it costs them money right and you're not paying them and to yep. me i feel like you know that's kind of like it's a really easy way to get a bad reputation and have carriers yeah. not want to haul for you yep well you'll see that even in our group but you'll see it in the other groups that have been around for years on facebook like you'll see the bad mouthing of the carriers to the brokers over scenarios just like this right like hey i was there four and a half hours and the guy just refused to pay me detention i've been requesting it for two weeks and they still haven't paid me 
Or, yeah, this guy forced me to have a layover and then didn't pay me anything. And I'm still trying to get somebody to approve this, right? Like, yeah. these are the things that give both sides of the industry really. If you if you look up your brokerage on usually like a DAT or like Google, all the negative reviews are typically not getting a tone or not getting detention. Something in those regards. Yep. So. And again, CYA. Cover your ass, yeah. make sure it's documented, do the right thing. I mean, it shouldn't really be costing you any money to do the right thing. In fact, it literally shouldn't cost you anything. You're, yeah. If it's if you did everything you're supposed to, it's not coming out of your pocket. You're going to be able to bill your customer for it, and your carrier likely incurred an expense and should be paid. There is yep. no reason why you should be taking money in these scenarios. That's it. Right, man. Cool. Good stuff. Any uh, – we got anything cool coming up? Any – Oh, no. I, I think we're, due, we're definitely due for a DAT webinar and yep. sometime coming up in the second half of this year. So We're in discussions with them. We just got to iron out the dates. That's kind yeah. of the next big thing we've got on the agenda. We'll get something on the books. Well, good stuff. Well, we made it to July. We're in the second half of 2022. And uh, we're not stopping anytime soon, man. That's for sure. Yep. Any closing thoughts here, Mr. Kowalski? Whether you believe you can or believe you can't. You're right. And until next time, go Bills. That wraps up this episode of Freight 360. Check out the show notes for links to anything that we've referenced on this episode. And make sure to visit us online at Freight360.net to see our entire library of episodes, videos, blogs, and more. And make sure to check us out on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel for daily and weekly tips and content. If you'd like your question answered on the show, fill out the Contact Us form on our site and we'll see you next week.